Welcome to the Modern MBA podcast with Marie Kerwin and Kristen Rossi. Our mission is to help MBAs coming from, going into, or merely considering more unorthodox career paths. We're a community to find inspiration and share stories. Today on the Modern MBA podcast, we're speaking with Uguchi Agorio, who after a career in banking, did an MBA and transitioned into tech. She's now the head of channel at SAP for the West African region. My name is Uguchi Agoreo. I'm from Nigeria in West Africa, and I did my MBA at the Warwick Business School in Coventry, United Kingdom. So you completed your MBA in 2009, and you've used it to move into tech, first with Microsoft, and now you're the head of channel at SAP West Africa. Would you kindly walk us through your career experience to date? My career, as as you obviously know, has been has hasn't been a straight sort of path into tech. I started off with um, working in banking, so I used to be a banker straight out of school, um, and, and I did that for nine years, and then decided to come over to the UK and do an MBA. And immediately after my MBA, I moved into um, I moved into technology, just going back to Nigeria. Um, I, I moved into technology, worked with Microsoft for um, a little while in a number of roles, and then moved into channel at SAP. What made you choose to pursue an MBA, and what skills did you gain from it? So I, I think, you know, working in banking was was a good experience. I mean, there's, I, I, I don't actually feel that there's any experience that doesn't improve you as a person, but I, I did feel that there was something missing. I've always looked at myself as someone who is very interested in ideation and um, creating strategy and, and things like that. And I somehow felt that in banking, um, I, I wasn't living my full potential in that area. Um, but I wasn't really sure what I needed to do to move out of banking. And I think um, having a number of co- conversations, leaving that whole banking scenario was going to be tricky. And, and one of the things that, you know, with the various conversations I had was give yourself some time to think about your transition into, you know, what, what is next for you. And use that time to gain some knowledge, acquire some skills, and and you know you know try to um, think around how you can utilize your skills around strategy and ideation. And and the best I, I I think for myself the best the best opportunity for me would have been you know embarking on an MBA. And that's really why I decided to do it. Can you tell us a little bit about what your role as head of channel at SAP West Africa entails, what a day-to-day experience is like? So the whole idea of, of channel within technology, as the name suggests, is the different channels through which we sell the technology that, that we provide. And there are two main ways that we sell. We either sell direct, which is the company itself, SAP or, or you know Microsoft or whichever um, technology company it is, selling direct to to the consumers, or we sell through channel, which is an indirect model, through channel partners and and achieving the same sort of results, but through an indirect channel. 
Now, I mean, that, that was a really simple explanation, but there's so much that goes behind it, behind, you know, recruiting the channel that is eager to sell, um, enabling that channel and making sure that the channel is successful so that they continue to sell um, the products. So all of that is, is what my job entails, making sure that we've recruited the right type of partners, making sure that they have the, the um, right support to be successful at representing SAP in selling the software and, and making sure that, you know, they continue to um, put the right sort of face forward for the organization. So all of these things are the things that make up what the role is. Developing that channel, making sure they're successful, making sure that there's revenue coming out of that channel and making sure that the channel is giving the right customer service, the right impression to our, our customers all over the world. Beyond the MBA, what skills have been essential for your career progression in tech? So I, I think the one thing, the first thing that I will always say, whenever people ask me this question, the first thing I say is that coming out of the MBA, I don't know if it's a skill or, or just, or, or just um, you know, something in addition. The one thing that I did gain that, that is the most important thing is confidence. I mean, I came into the MBA I, I, I think I was pretty confident in myself as a person, but was I confident in my ability to transition, in my ability to be um, more than I was in my role as, as a banker? I don't think I was. But just going through that year of the MBA gave me the confidence, you know, that I had skills and I could succeed in anything I wanted to do, irrespective of what industry, irrespective of what role it was. I recall, you know, during the MBA, you know, what one of the lecturers, we, we sat with one of the lecturers and we were talking and, and, you know, we talked really about how difficult it would be after the MBA to change roles. And, and, and the, the, the lecturer said, you see, the one thing is that the, the, the one really hard thing is transitioning from role to role. Another hard thing is transitioning from industry to industry. But what is really, really hard is changing industry and changing roles like you want to do. So move out of banking and move out of, you know, a relationship manager role in banking. That's really hard. But what, what you need to be able to do is show that you have skills that are transferable. And once you've identified what those skills are, you're able to transfer them into any industry. So coming out of the MBA, uh, over and above the confidence, gaining that confidence that you can do it, you can move from any industry into another industry and any role into another role was, you know, honing skills such as networking skills, presentation skills, ideation skills, negotiation skills, and, and just general strategy. And that's one thing that the MBA gives you. You're able to then identify all those sorts of skills that cut across every, every industry you can think of and then use those to navigate into whatever industry or whatever role you're trying to get into. I really couldn't agree more because coming into the MBA, I came from entertainment and you kind of feel a little bit sheepish going, oh, you know, people might not take me seriously. But at the end of the MBA, I came out thinking, you know what, I can go into any industry. And that's that boost of confidence is so important to actually making a real substantial change. Exactly. I mean, it was it was amazing. But it was almost like a 360 degree turn from when I got into the MBA to when I came out. 
And I, I literally felt like, and I think I've said this to a, a whole lot of people, I literally felt like I, I was a superhero. I could change the world, <laughs> you know? You had an article that came out from Warwick Business School in November about the cultural, cultural, culture ceiling. And you talked about the general perception of women in the workplace in Africa and mentioned how gender often dictates what happens around the negotiation table. Can you share with us more about this experience and, and the concept of the culture ceiling? This concept is, is a worldwide sort of um, concept with, with the culture ceiling. But, but I, I do believe that it's more predominant in Africa just because of the cultural um, context around how women are seen uh, in Africa. And, and this isn't, you know, putting down, you know, the, the organizations in Africa or West Africa or Nigeria, as a matter of fact, we have really, really good um, organizations. We have great leaders, you know, uh, and I, I do believe that even though we have all of this, um, people generally tend to see women in in a different light, irrespective of whether they're home or you know in the office, um, the idea that the, the African woman should be agreeable, you know, mild mild mannered, accepting, non confrontational those those ideas sort of dictate the way that people expect you um, to react um, in any situation, be it a negotiation, be it how you how you comport yourself in the office, and and those little um, cultural nuances show up in things like negotiation. So if you talk to a number of people, um, even though they would expect that, you know, maybe you do, you do get offered a role, they wouldn't expect you to negotiate, negotiate so hard, you know, they, they would be a bit taken aback. And I'll, and I'll use my experience, I mean, moving into channel. So I, I, I did work at Microsoft. Um, in an anti-piracy role before I moved into channel. And I recall, you know, being offered the role to move into channel. It, it wasn't something that I actively pursued, even though I had over, you know, a couple of months before then, um, taking some stretch assignments just to show my capability around other things, you know, and, and then I was offered the role. And the the understanding was I was just, going to accept it and and I think people were a bit taken aback that I didn't just say oh thank you so much fantastic you know I, I was appreciative of the offer but I, I did say that I felt that that you know my value was a lot higher and I expected um, that to reflect in the negotiations we were having so I think that has been my experience the one thing is, like I said, the organizations, it, it's, it's not something that people do intentionally. Um, and, and I would always say push, you know, to break that culture ceiling, because coming out of that experience, I do recall that the hiring manager who was, who was a director at the time said to me a couple of weeks later, you know, he, he came up to me and said, thank you for pushing, for insisting on not accepting what we offered, because it then allowed us to see how much more we were missing. And going through that process and pushing back allowed us to see how much more you could offer to the organization and many of the things that we had missed. It was a learning experience for them. It was. It was. And I was glad that it happened. And, and the truth is, even though 
it wasn't intentional. I, I can say today that after that negotiation, because I, I guess people talked about it quite a bit, after that negotiation, um, two or three other women in the organization, when they were offered the role, then came to me and said, look, mentor me on how, how you know I go about negotiating for this role and accepting the role. Because, because you know, they they felt that it was it was a good thing and it wasn't it wasn't confrontational but it, they felt it was a good thing that you're able to actually show the value that you think you can bring to the organization and you made a good point that it's not confrontational and i think a lot of people get worried like oh what if it's awkward or there's tension there but i think especially as women across the world um there needs to be more of that push just to take the step and know that it doesn't have to be confrontational but you can still speak up and ask for what what you're worth. That's it. What what you're worth. It should be clear what your value is and what you're worth. And then you know, off that you can have that conversation. And that actually leads perfectly into the next question and, and kind of the next part is that you're a wonderful role model for women, and then it, I think your experience proves it that the women were coming to you for advice. Um, and you're in a leadership role in a major international firm. How have you personally overcome the cultural culture ceiling? It's very, very rare that competence is not a factor in the way that people look at you. Um, I mean, you and you can't really argue with competence because your work speaks for itself. For me, the idea was, yes, it's a good role. I do appreciate it, but I think it should be on a higher level than, than you're offering me now. And the reason is because I think that my competence is at this level. But not only was I able to say, this is where I think my competence level is, I was able to show it. So I actually printed out the, the um, job description and all of the skills that, that was required in the role, in the level above the level I was being offered. And, and I was able to say, for this skill, I, I am able to do this. For this one, even though you think I don't have this skill, I have transferable skills that will enable me to do this. And we went through every single, you know, um, skill that was required for the level above what I was being offered. And I could show that I had competence in those things. And it wasn't something that could be argued about. That's why we come back to the point where my, my director is saying thank you for, you know, insisting because then I was able to point out those things. So the first thing I think in overcoming that culture ceiling, because nobody looks really at if you're male or female, if they know you can do the job and you can do it well. So over and above anything else they have at the back of their heads is how, how, how will I meet my KPI? What's the fastest, most efficient way to meet my KPI? Hire a competent person. And some of the smaller things are, are knowing um, your value and how you can articulate that value, right? That helps you break that culture ceiling. So you understand what you can, what you bring to the organization or to the role or, you know, to the team. And you're able to articulate so that people also understand what you bring to the team and to that role or the organization. And then the, the third thing would be always looking out for opportunities to show what you can offer. And this might not necessarily be in the role that you currently are in. So that's why when people say, oh, I'm, I'm taking on a stretch assignment or I'm volunteering in this team to lead this, you know, it's, it's, it helps you build that experience. It helps you also show other skills, some of your capabilities that might not be obvious in the role that you're currently in. So when people are 
are thinking of a next step or assessing people for a next role, they automatically think, oh, she already did this anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So they can already see that the proof, the proofs in the, in what you've done. Exactly. So many people listening may have never worked in Nigeria or the West African region. And from my contacts and other reading, I've heard, I've heard that this area of the world, especially for tech is growing. Are there any tips you could share about doing business in the region? For any organizations coming in to do business in Nigeria, especially for tech, the, the, the first thing, and this isn't because, you know, I work in channel or, or you know, I develop <laughs> channel, but, but honestly, I think for, for places like Nigeria, the, the first thing you should think about is, is channel and access. Because, I mean, there, there are a number of reasons. There are a number of government um, legislation around local content and, um, you know, the forex regimes that are very important for you to know. So, so for instance, in Nigeria, it's becoming more and more important that you have a, a local content in any of the solutions you provide. So, so, you know, understanding that you probably will need a channel through which you sell, which is more local than international, um, will probably help you be a lot more successful. Um, understanding how you access the, the um, consumers that you're trying to sell to is also really important. So you can't really, I mean, and, and, and this is, you know, um, sales 101. How, how, what's, what's the channel? What's your, how are you going to sell? That's the first thing you should think about if you want to go into any business, <laughs> not just tech. Because, because there are rules around um, how you engage and the channels through which you sell. So, so I think those are some of the um, more important things. Another thing you should think about is startups because startups are big. We have so many tech startups in Nigeria. Another way to come in might be to look for some of these startups, engage with the startup communities, developer communities to see, you know, what you could invest in or, or what, you know, you would be interested in, you know, either partnering with people on. Um, so that's a, another really good way to come into the tech industry in Nigeria. That's great. Are there any tech startups that you'd recommend looking at? I, I don't know any off the top of my head. So it'd be interesting just to, if you have any recommendations for people to look at, if there are any like, really prominent tech startups in Nigeria you could recommend. I mean, we have, we have a whole lot of them. We've got um, um, payments. We've got tech startups in payments. Um, we've got tech startups in um, savings and investments. So people like um, Paystack. Um, yes, um, I, I think those are the more popular ones. People like Piggyvest, which are um, investment sort of technology. Um, a lot in, in financial services, uh, but we also have a lot more in um, tech and logistics. We, we have some in uh, financial um, accounting type software. So th there's, there's a, a large number, I think, of, of tech startups, but they do have communities. And the, and the important thing is to find the communities, um, understand you know, how you engage with those communities, and, and then you know, start to think of how you invest. And then finally, do you have any advice for MBAs? We kind of have touched upon it already, but any MBAs wanting to use the MBA to transition into tech, do you have any additional advice for them? What I absolutely love about the MBA is, is how broad it is, right? So it helps you almost do that 360 degree self-evaluation that is essential in discovering 
you know, what you're truly good at and sharpening those skills to some extent and then using that to your advantage. So so I think that in, in, in a nutshell sums up the MBA for me. And and once you have that sum of what you really are good at, it's easy for you to then transition. So if you're thinking of transitioning to tech industry or, or any other industry, actually, you know, you first, I think the first thing you need to do is discover those skills that you have, you know. Um, and then when you, you discover that, look at the ones that are probably transferable, like I've talked about before, because if you're moving from banking, right, and you want to move into, into tech, I mean, understanding the loan portfolio of of you know you know cons- consumers is not really going to help you. It's a very good skill, but it's, it's really not going to help you in technology. What you can do is look at look at that skill that you have, which helps you you know um, w- which almost helps you think through the customer's business, look at what's working and what's not. And those are the type of skills that you're then able to transfer to tech. Because in tech, it's not just um, the technical aspects. You have people that work in sales, which could be direct or channel, which is indirect. And you have people that work in strategy, which is a whole range of, you know, departments. So there are other things without, you don't necessarily have to have uh, a technical background and be implementing and developing software and things like that. You could move into other areas. So you need to look at what you've done before. Look at all of the skills that you've gained from, from your past. I don't think there's any job, it doesn't matter what it is, where you don't have skills you can transfer into another role. So you need to find those skills, identify what they are, and the ones that make you stand out. And then you, you're able to use those to transition you know, into the tech industry, if that's what you're looking for. So look for roles where even though you've come from banking and you and you don't really have a tech background, where you're able to use the skills that you've developed in negotiating with your customers, selling to your customers, you know, um, um, building strategy for your customers. You know, you need to be able to take those skills and move them into, into the tech industry, the skills that they're looking for. One of the top things for, for tech is sales actually because that's that's that, that's how the company stays alive and if you are good at selling or, or developing strategies to sell you're always useful so you need to find those skills that help you do those things that help the company stay alive and the truth is you would you probably have skills that you know help you sell in any industry it doesn't matter where you're coming from if, even if it's beauty entertainment um, if you want to go into sales in tech, you just have to find the, the angle through which you're going to sell, but you already have the skills to sell. You know, it's funny, actually, this is kind of related, but not my, my youngest brother, he's just finishing his undergraduate degree and he did it in film. And but he's looking at sales jobs. And I said to him, you know, you can use that film degree because in film, it's telling stories. And in sales, it's you know, in my opinion, you're, you're, you're sharing a story, you're trying to, to give the, the buyer a story, make them believe something that will help them. And so even in a film degree, you can transition, in, in my mind, at least. You're absolutely right. You know, it's, it's selling a story that the customer is interested in hearing. That's pre sales, right? It, you, you know, you're telling this story. There's this build-up that the customer is interested in hearing. If you're telling a story that the customer is not interested in hearing, then obviously there's no sale. 
<laughs> you need to find the story that the customer is interested in hearing. And, and you find that with almost anything that you study or any you know, industry you come from, that skill is, is very, very relevant. That's all from today's Modern MBA podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Marie. If you like this episode, remember to hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. You can get access to articles and more great content by visiting our website, themodernmba.co.uk, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram at The Modern MBA, and Twitter at MBA Modern. And aside from Apple Podcasts, you can also listen to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Until next time, bye. Bye. Thank you.